Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Now today um, is a chance to celebrate, but before we do, Lloyd wants to share something that is also a celebration. So where's Lloyd? Oh, he's coming. This is a lovely little story that Lloyd's going to share. I'm jogging. Hi, good morning, everyone. And uh, praise God that I'm here this morning. Uh, as some of you know, I'm, I've allegedly got terminal cancer. I say allegedly, you know, because uh, the Lord's been so, so good. Uh, I just want to tell you about this week and show, just say about the healing power and also the support of all your prayers that have come to fruition. I've been really worried the last few weeks. I had a tumour on my rib here, supposed, supposed to have a tumour there, and uh, I, I was, had a lot of pain in my lungs and uh, discomfort, and I played it light with my wife, Therese, and uh, I, I kept up upbeat, but I was really worried, and I thought, oh, they, because they said, you know, soon you would be gone. Well, I'm still here. Well, I went for radiotherapy. They said you'll have scarring on your lungs. You'll have a burn. Uh, it'll be very sore. Very sore. And uh, the Lord's been so gracious and he's healing. And I wanted to encourage you, hope as an anchor, because I wasn't losing hope, but as a human being, sometimes we get down. And we're in rough times and the sea the rough sea of life and wow I I got this treatment and then they found out that I had a tumor behind the on, on the back of my ribs so that's why I was feeling this discomfort and it wasn't the end it's just a new beginning and uh, we're all going to go sometime but I just want to encourage you to know that we have a living God who touches and cares and will heal us and uh, we, we only live by God's grace so there's tough times ahead for many of us, but hold on to hope as an anchor because you will be honoured. Amen. Amen. Hold on, right there, right there, right there. If you're comfortable, why don't you stretch your hand out? We're going to pray for Lloyd and thank God for, um, for his life and what God's doing. Father God, we thank you for the healing that you are bringing to Lloyd continually. He's confounding the doctors and we just thank you that you are shrinking tumours, protecting him from pain and discomfort and Lord giving him hope. And we just thank you and praise your name for Lloyd's life and all that you're doing in him. And we say more God, more of your presence, more of your Holy Spirit and more of your healing power. Lord, I pray this week at wildfires. Yes, he's going to wildfires, although he's glamping. Um, Lord, we pray that he has the most amazing time and that miracle upon miracle will happen and we will see a complete healing. Lord, keep him well and safe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks, Lloyd. Is Sue here? Sue Hayes. Come on. Come on, Dan. Give Sue a huge round of applause. As you know, if you're part of this church family, we celebrate big birthdays. And I'm sure Sue doesn't want to say, but she is almost, this is the best Sunday we could get, isn't it, Sue? Yes, it <laughs> in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, Sue is 70. 
And we want to celebrate that. And so we had to work together. I had to kind of say, well, she knows what happens. But I said, you know, are you around on this Sunday? No. Are you around on this one anyway? So this was the best Sunday because it's actually the 8th of June, isn't it? So... Playing. My kids are playing up. They, they, I wanted them all at once, and they're coming in three lots. So, <laughs> so that's why. Yes. Yeah, so she won't, she won't be here. But today we want to celebrate and honour you that you are seventy. So we've got a little Ooh, gift. You. you can. Oh, do you want to just pull it out and show people because yeah. it's obviously hidden. Do you want, oh, do you want me to get it out? Yeah, just a okay. little raise up. It's oh, just yeah. a. Oh, beautiful! An orchid. How lovely! And thank you. Oh, do you want to put it up? <laughs> So yeah, so happy birthday for the 8th of June. Have an amazing time with your family. Thank you for all, your do, all you do for Riverside. Sue runs Pantry and uh, is incredible. And we just want to yeah, honour you and celebrate you today. So give her a huge round of applause and happy birthday for the 8th. I think that's me. Simon's going to finish off our series. Don't these series go quickly? It's going to finish off our series, Choose. Thank you. Hey, love church. Oh, I love church. I do. I love all the stuff that God does. It's just amazing. Um, just wonderful. Wonderful to be part of a family of God, isn't it? <laughs> so the book reading club's next week, okay? Here we are. Choose our life of worship. So, yeah, we're coming on to land today on this series. It's our sixth talk on this series. They do go by quickly. Our aim has been over the series to encourage you into a deeper life of worship, not just in the room on a Sunday, but also in your private life, in the week, in the different places you find yourself. And we've looked at different uh, ways to worship, we've looked at what happens when we gather to worship, we've looked at these concepts of surrender and intimacy, sometimes challenging concepts that we have to wrestle with. Uh, Amy today was just encouraging us deeper into God, you know, what can we, how can we step deeper into worship, how can we move more into God's presence, release more freedom. And last week, Jake encouraged you and I to go away and worship in different ways, didn't he? Using music, uh, using uh, cr- nature, uh, creatively, intellectually, and in silence. So uh, we had different ways to think about worship during the week. And I hope you've seen from this series that, that worship isn't a religious thing, it's a life thing. It flows through everything that we do, because God is present in everything that we do, uh, In the West, we've lost touch a little bit with that kind of idea of God in all things. The ancients really understood that concept. They really did. They saw God in all things. But we've we've kind of, in the West, probably because of our Victorian heritage, kind of kind of moved religion into sort of a Sunday Sunday thing or a or a a thing that we sort of compartmentalise. But worship and relationship with God originally started in all of life. And that's where we want to try and get back to, recognising God in the smallest things, the most mundane things as well. So today I want to look at this concept that um, choices change us. Choices change us. The series we've called it Choose because we have this choice. Do we choose to worship God? If we come to Christ, then it's very clear throughout the Gospels, Jesus, I set you free. I set you free. You're no longer a slave to the things that bound you before. So... A key aspect of the gospel is freedom. And then once we, we gain that freedom, what do we do with that freedom? Because the Bible says you're no longer under law, you're no longer under obligation. You're free to choose what you do with your freedom. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians. What do we do with the freedom God has granted us? I've heard lots of people over the years say, I'm going uh, to make this choice when things change. I'm waiting for the right moment 
to step into this thing or to do this thing or to, to... I'm just waiting for the circumstances to be better before I make this choice. And that's something I think we often find ourselves paralysed by. We think, well, we'll just wait for the perfect day. We'll wait for the right day. We'll wait for things to align properly and then we'll make that choice. And perhaps that choice is a, a more costly choice in terms of our discipleship. We'll make the choice when things are better. And the writer of the teaching of Ecclesiastes, he highlights this um, in chapter 11. He used the analogy of a farmer. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Whoever watches the weather forecast will not go to wildfires. (laughs) He's highlighting this paradox, this quandary that the farmer faces, you know, The farmer can watch and wait and keep watching the weather and keep waiting for the right day to plant, the right day to plant the seed to get the best crop. But the the wisdom writings in Ecclesiastes say if you do that, the right day will never come because there's always a prospect of a better day tomorrow, a slightly improved day for planting. And so the man, the farmer who watches the weather, never actually plants the crop, so they never reaps the crop, never has the benefit of the choice of, of risking and going forward in that decision. He, will not, he who doesn't plant doesn't have any crops. That's the end of the story. And so you and I can put off making a choice because we're watching and waiting for the perfect time. We're waiting for circumstances to change until we make that choice. But often, in reality, it's the choice that brings about the change. It's you choosing to do something that brings about the change that you're hoping to see in your life. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 6, it's a big chapter there. And Jesus is talking about all different aspects of life. And he's encouraging you and I to make good choices around the things that we steward in our lives. The things that are entrusted to you and I by God. So he talks about choosing how we use our, our resources, our finances. He says, I encourage you to give. I encourage you to use some of your time to pray. I encourage you to choose to, to fast. I encourage you to to think about others, to choose to live with an eye on eternity. And this is all the teachings you find in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6. And Jesus is saying we've all got to choose how we use what's entrusted to us. We can't abdicate that choice. There are things that were entrusted to us in life and we have to choose what we do with those things. And at the end of this teaching in in Matthew 6, he sums up all this section with this statement. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is simply saying, if you choose God first, everything else falls into place. If you choose God first, that choice will inform all the other choices that you have to make in your life. Choose God first, and it will change the way you relate to all the other things in your life. So choosing God first will change the way you spend your time, it will change the way you spend your resources, it will change the way you relate to other people, it will change your focus, it will bring change to every area of your life. All these things, Jesus said, will be affected by your choice to choose God first, to seek him first. And what Jesus is saying is that If we put that choice in place, it will allow us to experience the truth of who God is, the truth of what God says about himself, the truth of what God promises to us. 
In John's Gospel, he says this, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. So Jesus says you've got a choice. You can put into practice what I'm telling you and figure out whether or not it is from God, whether it's true. You get to find out if this Christian thing actually works or not by putting it into practice, by giving it a go. And so if we're going to try and respond to these words of Jesus, the first thing we need to do, isn't it, is figure out what's the will of God. If we can figure out what the will of God is, then we can try it and see whether or not it flies, see whether or not it's true, see whether Jesus could be taken at his word. So I'm going to take a very practical and slightly provocative subject this morning, very briefly. Is it the will of God that you give away some of your money to other people? Okay, we've got an answer from the floor. <laughs> is the will of God that you use some of your finances to, to basically help other people? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with yes, like a few of you are on the floor as well. And the reason I'm going to go with yes is because if you read your Bibles, you find the Bible is full of passages around God encouraging you and I to be generous with what God's given us. He encourages us to give away something that has been given to us to benefit those around us, to help other people. So as a principle throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, so in the Old Testament you wouldn't glean to the edge of your field because you would leave some of your field for strangers to come along and be able to eat. Passage after passage about how we are to leave some of our resources and help other people. Paul says in the letter to the church in Corinth, each of you should give what you have decided, there's the choice, in your heart to give. Not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So each of you should decide. We're faced with a choice. What do we do with the resources God has entrusted to us? And I like this passage because it says it's not born out of obligation or compulsion, but it's born out of a, a joyful relationship with God. Because God's a, a giving God. We find that again throughout Scripture, and we, we, live, we experience a God who gives generously to us. So therefore, if we're going to live like God, we have to be a bit of a chip off the old block, and we, we give generously in the same way. Why? So if you establish then that it's the will of God to give away some of what you earn or some of what you receive to others, God doesn't say how much in the Old Testament as a principle of tithing, 10%, but that isn't carried forward into the New Testament as much. Jesus just says be generous. That's throughout the scripture. So there's not an exact amount. God doesn't say who to give it to, and God doesn't say where you should give it. So none of those things are, are, are specific in scripture. What we do find is that there's an encouragement to give away some of what you earn to other people to bless them. That's the will of God. So if we're going to do that, we have a choice, don't we? We've got a choice. We're faced with this will of God. What do we do? What do we do? We've got three choices. You can choose to give. You can choose not to give. Or you can choose to wait, like the farmer in Ecclesiastes. You can choose to wait for the better day when you feel you'd be in a better position to give. One thing you can't do is say, well, this doesn't apply to me. This, this principle of God, this will of God, doesn't apply to me. That's one thing you can't do. That's not the choice that you're currently faced with. Now you might say, hang on, Simon, why are you hitting us for the money talk in the middle of a worship series? Well, the reason I'm doing it is because it's a very objective thing to talk about because... It highlights the power of choice. The power of choice that we have as 
believers and the consequence of choice. Now, many people in the Riverside family choose to give. Yeah, many of you choose to give generously to the life of the church. And that has a consequence. The consequence is that Riverside exists because of your generosity and your choice to give. Riverside wouldn't exist without that choice being made by some of you. And I'm sure if you chatted to somebody who's made that choice to give, maybe to Riverside, maybe to somewhere else, if you chatted to them and said, how has that changed your relationship with money? They would tell you about how by choosing to do the will of God, they found out some of the truth of the kingdom. They found out some of the principles of the kingdom. They might say, actually, it's changed my, the way I view money. It's changed the way that I use money. It's changed my stewardship with money because I've stepped into the will of God. I've entered a kingdom dynamic that Jesus said to me, if you try this and it works, you'll get to see, actually, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling you what actually is real in the kingdom. And they might also say to you, I've, I've realized actually that God does provide for me. God can provide for me. Even when I choose to give away sacrificially, God will still provide for me. The issue is you only get to experience this if you choose to do it. You never get to experience the stepping into what Marty actually talked about in that word after worship. You don't get to experience some of these things that we have to step into unless you step into them. You can never know whether God can financially provide for you unless you choose to give away some of the money that you're earning or some of the money you feel you're dependent upon because that's where God comes and that's where God moves. The power of choice lets us experience the power of the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. He doesn't say to you, everything else will be added and then seek first the kingdom, does he? Or seek second the kingdom. So the principle is that as we step into the things of God, we find them to be true and we find them to be real. And our faith deepens as we experience the reality of who God is and what he promises to us. And that's the real power of choice. But many of us say, now I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the right day to come. I'm going to wait for the right season to come. I'm going to wait for the right things to change. And then I'll make my choice. And we wait and we wait and we wait. Because the right time never comes. The right season never comes. The perfect day to plant never arrives. So a life of worship means choosing to put God first. And as we make that choice, that choice then affects every other aspect of our life. It informs and changes every other aspect of our life. Because we have lots to juggle in life. In 1991, the former CEO of Coca-Cola, a man called Brian Dyson, he made a speech, and that speech became famous. In fact, the last part of that speech became really famous, and it's been tweeted and, and redone over and over again uh, across the internet. He spoke at the Georgia Tech Institute, and the, the last part of his talk, he said these words. He said, imagine life as a game in which you are juggling some five balls in the air. You name them work, family, health, friends, and spirit, and you're keeping all these balls in the air. You'll soon understand that the, rub, the work ball is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friends and spirit, are made of glass. If you drop one of these, they'll be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged or even shattered. They will never be the same. 
You must understand that and strive for balance in your life. And Brian was talking to high-powered CEOs and trying to get them to understand that actually if you spend all your time focusing on your work life, you're likely to drop on the more important balls actually God has entrusted to you. Because we're all called to steward these different things in our lives. We have to make a choice. How do we spend our time? We have to make a choice. How do we spend our resources? We have to make a choice. How do we relate and love other people? How do we choose to affect others? If you get preoccupied with the wrong ball, then you risk dropping one of the more important balls. And those balls don't bounce like the work ball does. We're taught the work ball is the most important ball. We spend most of our lives focusing on our careers and our job and our work and staying behind and working long hours. But that ball is the more resilient ball. It's the family ball or the spiritual life ball or the health ball. Those are the ones that will suffer if we drop them. As a follower of Jesus, you're faced with similar choices. You, know, you juggle all these different balls. What's the most important ball not to drop? Well, I'd say it's the one marked Jesus. It's the Jesus ball that you shouldn't drop because that's the ball that will help you balance all the other balls, keep all the other balls where they should be. That's the ball that should have your closest attention. That's what a life of worship is all about. Jesus is the ball we shouldn't drop because he helps us with all the other things that we're faced with in life. And so one of the first and best choices you and I can make in our day is to spend a little bit of time in God's presence, allowing him to change us, allowing him to restore us, allowing him to heal us, coming back into line with the reality of the universe and how we're made and how we fit in and how all these other balls that we're called to handle actually work. That choice to worship enables every other choice that you have to make. And a life of worship means we, we talked about enthroning Jesus, didn't we? We worshiped about enthroning God and dethroning ourselves, putting God back on his rightful seat in our lives. So when we look to enthrone Jesus first in our heart, we have to dethrone some other things in our lives. And to do that is an element of self-denial that we have to work through. The gospel, when embraced fully, is an element of self-denial. Anyone been watching Freeze the Fear with Wim Hof? I love Wim. Isn't he great? I love a bit of Wim. Now, Wim is an extraordinary Dutchman. That's quite close. I'm sorry about that. That's quite scary. <laughs> He's an extraordinary, he's got his piercing blue eyes, hasn't he? An extraordinary Dutchman. He holds 26 Guinness World Records. He climbed 22,000 feet up Mount Everest just in shorts and shoes. Shorts and shoes, nothing else. Shorts and shoes. He holds the record for remaining submerged in ice for 112 minutes up to his neck. Now, Wim, back in 1995, began to pioneer the benefit of cold water therapy, which has become very vogue more recently. Cold water swimmers, I applaud you. Um, but the whole idea that cold can benefit us because as we expose our body to cold, it can create a beneficial um, resilience to stress in our bodies. So on Freeze the Fear, um, Wim took a number of contestants and began to expose them to increasing levels of cold therapy and cold stress. I can see some of you shrinking down in your seats. Like <laughs> There's Wim doing what he does best. Out in the cold, in his shorts. So one of the things they started with, with the contestants, was they said, basically, every morning you have to have a cold shower. 
So at the end of your warm shower, you turn your shower to cold. And so for the first uh, time, they did it, 30 seconds was what they had to do, and they hated it, 30 seconds of cold water. And then over the uh, weeks, they increased from 30 seconds to a minute to 1.30, up to two minutes by the end of the series. So about four weeks ago, Key and I decided to give this a go. Not together. Now you put that idea in their mind now, and they can't, they can't forget that idea. That wasn't even... Anyway. So every morning, you're faced with a choice, okay? You're faced with a choice. Do you just finish your shower with a lovely warm water, or do I say, echo, time two minutes? And echo goes, two minutes, starting now. And I have the choice again, then, to get the hot water and go whack and turn it all to cold and just sit, stand under that water for two minutes. Now, every morning, I'm faced with the same choice. Echo, time two minutes, and then grab the valve and turn it all the way to cold. And every morning, the shock of the cold water is exactly the same. (laughs) And funny enough, two minutes is exactly the same. The first time I did that, I thought, this is the longest two minutes of my life, because it felt like forever. The other morning, I said, Echo... Time two minutes. And she said, timing 20 minutes. I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> Keely heard me shouting from the bedroom. <laughs> so every morning I'm facing a choice. And we've been doing this for four weeks. And actually, it's, it's is it beneficial? Well, I'm on one minute. Let's clarify. <laughs> I think it's beneficial. I think you know, the, 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 the medical facts behind it improves your mental well-being, improves your uh, physical health. It helps lower your... Prepares you for wildfires. <laughs> it, Saves electricity. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The idea is that when you face stress in life, if you can expose your body to a bit of stress, you get better at coping with stress. And so you're not stressful to me, so I need to do lots of cold water. Um, Anyway, the power of choice. Every morning I have the power of choice to say, do I just stay warm or do I actually experience a bit of self-denial for benefit, for long-term benefit? And um, Jesus said... You know, whoever wants to be my disciple, he said this, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So a life of Jesus, does it have to have in it some sense of self-denial? Because to enthrone God in our lives, in the different areas of our lives, we have to dethrone ourselves, we have to deny ourselves, that's what that means. And so by denying ourselves, we're enthroning God in different areas of our life. And so... We have to experience a bit of denial in various places in our life if we're going to enthrone God into those places. If you're going to use some of your time to come into God's presence, you know, to try and be transformed by his presence, you're denying yourself some of that time to spend as you choose. If you're going to give away some of your resources to other people, you're denying yourself some of your resources to bless others and support them. If you're going to maybe choose to bite your tongue when somebody says something to you and you don't want to respond in the same spirit, you're going to deny yourself the opportunity to do that. You're going to respond differently. Self-denial throughout our lives as we lead a life of worship. Because as we do this, we enthrone God and we experience more of the kingdom. It's very clear what Jesus said. You know, Daily, we deny ourselves to experience more of the truth of who God is. Jesus said, if you want to find out whether this stuff is true, try doing it. And then you'll, you'll find out or not whether it it's true. And so we'll never really find out if God can be trusted in every area of our life unless we allow him into those areas and we experience some self-denial in those areas to enthrone God 
into those areas. So let's go back to freeze the fear for a moment. The last big thing the Chinese had to do was to jump off a 500-foot bridge backwards on a bungee. They were shown this bridge. It's called the Colossus Bridge in Italy. And they were shown this bridge. There you are. Anyone frightened of heights? They were shown this bridge on week one of the, uh, of the series. And they all kind of stood there and just were in abject fear. Wim, bless him, he stood like this on the... Uh, on the he said, I'll show you how to do it. And he just jumped up. And, um, uh, and so they had to jump backwards off the bridge um, to face their ultimate fear. And um, some of the contestants had fear of heights and they were terrified by the thought. And all through the series, they said, there's no way I'm going to do the bridge jump. No way I'm going to do the bridge jump. And Wim was very good with them, very fatherly, very encouraging. They didn't have to do it. There was no pressure. A lady called Diane Boswell from Strictly Come Dancing, she'd been terrified by the thought of doing this because she's terrified of heights. I thought it'd be great to watch how she got on on the bridge this morning. All right, should we go for it? Yep, let's Just try. Get you in that first stage, yes? Yeah? So stage one, we're getting your arm out. Can they help you out, okay? Uh, she's gone over. Oh. Oh. Swing, swing over. Swing over the leg and I've got you here. That's it, good. Perfect. That's it. Oh, gosh, no. I don't, I don't think I can do it. How about you put your hands just on the edge? I just... don't think I can. Relax now. It's all up to you. I can't, I can't visualise myself jumping and I was so disappointed in myself that I didn't go onto the ice, but I think that's okay. It's all okay. That's okay. And I think I'm, I have to be okay with the fact that I might not be as good as everyone else down there that can do this, but... But I'm... you are the best of yourself. Yes. Exactly. And that is the most important. Exactly. Know that. Don't be disappointed. Yeah. You are facing your fears. Yep. And you are in charge here, now. Come on, Diane. Oh, I really wanted to do it. Because I think she'd be happy if she did it. Shall I try just go back? You just want to go back in that first stage position? Just let me try. Yeah. OK. Right. Just relax. That's it. Feet nice and wide. Good. Can you let go now? I've got it. I've got it. Yeah, you are. Keep lean back. I can't lean back. That's it. Can you let go of your hand if you want? Relax. Say you're good. You're good. Okay. You can do this. Three. No. No. I don't know yet. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. oh take okay. as long as you need. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so Easy sorry. does it, Maya. It's why okay. I, why can't I do this? Why can't I just. Do you say goodbye to the past? <sighs> yes, you do. Come on, She's Diane. Do it. Make oh it conscious. God. You are there. Come on. Yep, okay. Diane, five, four. She's going to do it. She's going to do it. I know. Two, one, go. You did it on your own. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Thank you, everyone. Great power, lady. Oh, he's jumping. Love you. Choices are changes. She would never have experienced the exhilaration of that jump unless she actually made that choice. And you can see the, uh, how difficult it was. She was the first one to do the jump, so she, no one had gone before her. And so she, Diane could never experience the freedom and the liberty uh, of that jump. And uh, she had to trust in the team. She had to trust in Wim. She had to trust, ultimately, in that bungee. Would it actually hold her weight? But in all those choices of trust, she entered into that incredible freedom of actually doing that, that jump. And it was extraordinary. It really made a massive change in her life. And she felt the, the pair of that choice would then be able to help her make better choices in other ways in her life. Now, we don't all have to go onto a high bridge and jump. You'd be pleased to know. But we, can, we do have the same choice power that she had. We have the power of choice. It's this incredible thing that God grants us, that you and I get to choose what to do in our lives there are so many things in your life you've got no power over. So many things that you can't change. So many circumstances that you are faced with that you can't alter. But there are a whole load of things that you can. There are a whole load of things that God puts before you that you do have choice in. Many of us are familiar with the Serenity Prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. It's a very famous prayer. You see it all over the place. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. So again, you're faced with the power of choice. There's some things around you you can't alter, but there are many things that you can, because you have choice over them. So many things you can influence in your life by your choices. You get to choose how to use your tongue. The Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death. You get to choose how you use it. No one else can make you use your tongue in a certain way. You get to choose what to say, when to say it, and what not to say, and when not to say it. You've got the power of life and death in your tongue. You get to choose how you respond to someone else's actions. No one else can make you respond in a certain way. You get to choose how you're going to respond to other people around you. Are you going to respond in kind, or are you going to respond in a different way to show them the power of Jesus' words and the power of the kingdom. You get to choose whether you show compassion to others. You get to choose whether you show grace to others. You get to choose whether you show forgiveness to others. You get to choose whether you show love to others. You have so many choices at your disposal. You get to choose how you use your free time. And we've said you get to choose how you steward your resources. Some of us have more, some of us have less, but we all get to choose. What do we do with what we have? And what Jesus was trying to convey to those around him was whatever you put into God's hand, he will multiply. It doesn't matter if it's a small amount or a large amount. He will multiply it. Jesus sat by the temple treasury and he watched the widow put in the two pennies. He said, she has done something incredible because she's trusted me with all she has and I'll take that and I'll multiply it because of the power of the kingdom. And we see that truth over and over and over again if we choose to deny ourselves. 
if we choose to enthrone God, if we choose to take some of what we feel is rightfully ours and we choose to give it away, whether it's our love, it's our time, it's our money, it's our grace, whatever we choose to give away, God will take it and he will multiply it for the kingdom. You see, guys, you and I come into this world with nothing and we go out with nothing. Okay, and in between the coming in and the going out, we get to steward some things that God gives us. We get to look after some stuff. Some of it's time, some of it's physical, some of it's emotional. We get to steward this stuff. We get to make a choice about what we do with all this stuff we get in between the coming in and the going out. And it's those choices that make the difference. The choices that bring about the change. And discipleship is really all about choices. It's really all about what you are choosing to do with the truth that God has presented to you. Do I want to step into that truth and make it my own? Do I want to to journey that truth and make it my own? Because you can't live someone else's story. You can't do it. You can't live someone else's story. You can't live off someone else's experiences of God. God calls you to have your own experiences of God. Diane could have watched seven people jump off that bridge and enjoyed it, but never experienced it herself unless she chose to do it. And if we choose to worship, if we choose to put God first, that changes everything. It changes everything else about the way we live life. Satan, when he tempted Jesus, was happy to give Jesus all the splendor of the kingdoms of the world. In Luke 4, he says, Jesus, if you'll worship me, you can have it all. Look, you can have it all. All the super yachts, all the palaces, you can have a lot. If you'll just worship me, just give me your affection and adoration. In exchange, I'll give you all this stuff. Why was Satan prepared to give all that stuff away? Because the most precious thing that you and I possess is the affection of our hearts. What we choose to give our love to, what we choose to give our affection to, what we choose to give our adoration to. And so for Satan, the most precious thing that Jesus possessed was the affection of his heart. So Satan said, you can have the lot. Just one thing I want from you, worship me. And you face the same choice, guys. I face the same choice. We can choose to put our affection somewhere else. We can choose to put our adoration somewhere else. Or we can choose to give it to God first. We can seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. Everything else will be changed by that profound choice that we make. Because if we make that choice, then our life becomes a life of worship. And you become empowered to change the way you make all your other choices. So when someone gets in your face or someone cuts you up in the car, you have a choice. And because you spent time with God that morning, your choice may not be to give them some horrible gesture or some horrible words. Your choice might be saying, God, just bless that person. I'll forgive them. I'll release grace to them. They're obviously having a tough day. You can choose to respond differently because you've chosen God first. So why don't we stand together, guys, as we come to the end of this series. So one thing you cannot abdicate is choice. It's yours. Your choices are yours. What you choose to do with certain things. So why don't you, let's just pause for a moment. Just think about one choice maybe you want to make differently at the end of this series. One thing you want to do differently. A different choice. A kingdom-based 
choice. What would you want to do differently? Speak to us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Words of Jesus. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Anyone who chooses will find out. Do you want to discover more of God? Do you want to know more of God in your life? What's the choice God is inviting you into to bring you more in line with his kingdom? I'm just going to invite the band to come back up as we close out this series. Let's just stay in God's presence. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Lord, we want to be empowered to make better choices. We want to be empowered to uh, choose you first. I pray for your grace and your strength this morning. God, those things around us that we can't change, God, the things that we can't affect, God, give us grace to endure them. But I pray the things that you have put in our hands, God, where we do get to make a choice, God, would you help us to make the right choices, God? Would you help us to choose you? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.